This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, September 14th, 2021. I'm Caleb Brown. The political speech case of AFPF v. Bonta attracted a wide variety of briefs from nonprofits seeking to keep their donors more private in opposition to a California policy demanding lists of donors. Bradley Smith is the chairman of the Institute for Free Speech, which challenged that same California policy years earlier. We discussed the Bonta decision late last month. AFPF v. Bonta was... I guess, a pretty high-profile blockbuster case. People who like giving money to nonprofits probably felt pretty good about the decision that is protecting donor privacy from the prying eyes of state governments at the very least. What was your sense of that? And I know that uh, IFS had a case that was strikingly similar to the AFPF case maybe a year or two earlier. Yeah, in, in fact, just as, as background and, and, and lay my cards on the table, the Institute for Free Speech had filed a suit uh, challenging the practice uh, on a facial basis. In other words, just saying it's unconstitutional for everybody. Uh, we lost in the uh, district court and in the Ninth Circuit and appealed to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court held our case in abeyance while they heard the case of Americans for Prosperity Foundation and the uh, Thomas More uh, legal center uh, to hear those two cases, which those cases actually were what are called as applied challenges in the law. That is the plaintiff said, as applied to us, this is unconstitutional because of our particular circumstances. And so those cases went to trial. They won in the trial court. Those verdicts were overturned in the Ninth Circuit, and then they got up to the Supreme Court and and won at that time. And then after that, the Supreme Court, which had just been holding our petition for certiorari, just uh, uh, sent our case back to the Ninth Circuit, said, follow our decision in AFPF v. v Bonta. So that's uh, the Institute for Free Speech's engagement on that. Uh, we did file an amicus brief in, in Bonta, or AFPF. And uh, we also did much to coordinate the amicus effort, which was uh, very important. One of the things the Supreme Court noted was simply the sheer number of groups that signed amicus briefs and signed on to them. And their their incredibly wide scope from groups like PETA and the ACLU and, and you know, numerous groups on the left to, of course, numerous groups on the on the right, uh, such as the plaintiffs themselves, obviously, the Thomas More Center and and. Uh, uh, AFPF, and then uh, dozens and dozens of groups uh, in between. And, and I think this shows that it remains very important to Americans to, uh, to have some degree of privacy, that it's, it's simply not really the government's business who you're giving money to and what causes uh, you're supporting. And what was very good about the decision is, although it was an S-applied challenge that the court finally took, the decision they rendered said facially, this law is unconstitutional, the position we had taken at IFS. And the argument that the state had made was, well, if we don't make the information public, there's not even any harm. How have they been harmed? They're just giving it to the government. Well, of course, everybody knows giving it to the government, you know, the government's perfectly benign. Nobody minds giving it to the government. Uh, the majority, of course, took the uh, opposite, and I think, correct view of saying, no, no. In fact, that may be exactly who they don't want to give it to is to the government. And it's, it, you know, it's so important. First, 
on the facts of the case, the government had not shown the ability to keep the information secret. Thousands of these forms had actually made their way into the public domain. Uh, but also, you know, even if you trust the government to do its job properly, and even if you trust that the government now is not going to do anything bad with the information, that doesn't mean the government now is going to be the government later. Uh, and once that information is there, it's there. It's in those hands. What's the follow-on from this? Uh, it, it seems to me that the, the people who want to challenge donor privacy, I mean, Chuck Schumer himself, uh, as I've noted many times on uh, this program, chilling effects are part of the point. Uh, right. But, uh, you know, from C3s to C4s, C4s are a more directly political uh, organizations. Do you expect to see uh, litigation there? The uh, decision does not contrary to what the dissent argued, it does not put a bullseye on campaign finance disclosure laws. The core of campaign finance disclosure is, is contributions to candidates, contributions to parties, and contributions to PACs, political action committees that exist to support candidates, to give money to directly support candidates. That is really not threatened uh, by the lawsuit. What is threatened, and in many respects just more we could say cut off, are what have been efforts over the last decade, really two decades, to expand the definition of political. So in other words, the Supreme Court is willing to still say that requiring disclosure of political contributions is okay. And what some people have tried to do for the past 20 years is expand this definition to include the kinds of things that think tanks do, to include kind of grassroots lobbying on an issue that, that groups that C4 organizations typically do, urging people to support, you know, environmental laws or, uh, you know, free trade or immigration or, you know, whatever issue it is. And AFPFV Bonta will make it very hard for people to keep trying to expand the definition of, quote, political activity to include these kinds of things, which are certainly about public affairs and certainly can in, in change people's views, but are not about money going directly you know, to candidates and political parties. And, and the distinction there, if, if I'm not mistaken, is that candidates control contributions to candidates. And when people spend money in order to advocate some issue or on behalf of some candidate that is not at all coordinated with the candidate, that candidates don't control that. And in fact, probably wouldn't like a lot of the spending that is done even on their behalf. Well, it's it's broader than that. I mean, there's two two basic reasons why the Supreme Court has upheld disclosure of political contributions, meaning candidate-related contributions, and, and specifically advocating the election or defeat of candidates. One is to prevent corruption. That is, you know, the, like you said, the money's going under the control of the candidate. But there's another reason that the court is used to uphold it, even when the money is not under the control of the candidate, like with independent spending, but still talking about uh, uh, candidates and, and, you know, vote for so-and-so. Um, and that is what the court calls the informational interest. And a lot of people have tried to use this saying the public benefits from knowing who's giving to candidates. And this has been something that the you know enemies of privacy have tried to use to say, well, the public would benefit from knowing this. And the court in 
Bonta didn't have to take up that issue because there were no candidates involved in what was being discussed. But the case will still weaken the ability to expand the laws in that area. And what's very important about that is in those decisions, the court has defined that voter informational interest, not as being just you're curious who your neighbors gave to, not as being uh, it will help you know whether you trust the argument or not. Like, oh, uh, you know, I don't like those guys, so I I must oppose that candidate. Uh, Or certainly not with the idea that it would enable you to hold the spender accountable, right? We're going to hold Americans accountable for their for their expressed views by trying to get them fired from their jobs and things like that. That was not what the court meant. The court very narrowly had to find that as meaning it gave the voters information on how the person would perform in office. Because if, for example, you knew that the Sierra Club was running a whole bunch of ads in your favor, you could presume that that candidate was going to be very responsive to the Sierra Club and into, you know, climate change and environmental issues. And if you knew alternatively that the U.S. Chamber of Commerce maybe was spending a lot of money to elect the candidate, then you would think, okay, he's probably going to be responsive to business interest and deregulatory interest, something like that. So it was not, again, the informational interest as people often like to interpret it. It was a very narrow uh, way of helping people know how candidates would act. So again, AFPF doesn't directly deal with that because the court, having promised they were going to keep these forms private, couldn't exactly turn around and say there was a public informational interest in it. But uh, again, the court will reject efforts to expand this notion of what constitutes political speech as opposed to more general speech about issues in public affairs. And uh, I, I think it, it will take a lot of the wind of, out of the sails of these efforts to expand mandatory disclosure. And, and I think that's a good thing. Another encouraging point there was that the court recognized and, and commented on the prevailing atmosphere nowadays, the, the you know, Twitter mobs and, and, uh, uh, this effort, these efforts that are made to get people fired from their jobs to, uh, you know, de- deprive them of credit and so on. And, uh, you know, any kind of sentient person knows that that's going on. And uh, I think it was very good for the court to recognize that. Bradley Smith is chairman of the Institute for Free Speech. We spoke last month. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast pretty much anywhere and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.